May I ask you to get your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. As you begin this Missions Week emphasis, I want to spend our time together tonight thinking about what it's going to take for all of us to be Great Commission Christians. I think there are a number of reasons that we struggle with sharing the gospel with others. We struggle with being burdened over non-believers. I want to take us back to the beginning a little bit in our own lives. I want to do that by walking us through the Gospel of Mark, looking at multiple texts in the first six chapters. And as we do that, I want to lay out a pattern for you, and then I want to bring all of this together by talking some about what the Lord is teaching me about all of this. And so, let's do this. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the songs we have sung together. Thank you for the voices of your people, the young people in particular, Lord, just lifting up your praises. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for a church that is burdened about getting the gospel to the nations. I pray tonight that you would burden us also to get the gospel to our neighbors. Lord, may you take us back to when we first met you. And may you do something in our lives that changes us for the rest of our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, start with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We literally are going to walk through some of this. So I, I trust you will take your Bibles and walk with me. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the title of this book, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of good news, and this good news is not just about anybody. It is about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. The rest of this book will take us there, and this book moves very quickly. It's the fastest moving of the gospels. It's the shortest of the gospels. It is the gospel that is most action-packed. More than 40 times in this gospel, we read the word immediately, 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 immediately. There's almost a sense when you read this gospel that you are to run out of breath because you just keep rapidly moving forward. And by the third chapter of this gospel, we're halfway through the ministry of Jesus. So it just moves we move very quickly into the ministry of John the Baptist. And so let's look at this in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now pause here and let's think about John the Baptist. Here's what we hear him say, one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to, to stoop down and untie his shoes. We know 
that he also, when Jesus requested to be baptized, John did not feel worthy to do that. We know it's John who says that when Jesus is on the scene, John says, I must decrease, he must increase, and there's a humility to John that marks him. But you know what? That strikes me some, because I think if I were, if I were John the Baptist, there are a lot of things about my life that would have made me really tempted to think I'm something. So let's just think about that for a minute. The prophets announced him centuries before his coming. The prophets wrote of his coming, the one who would pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he was the one to do that. We know from the Gospel of Luke that an angel announced his birth. He was, John the Baptist was an answer to the prayers of an aging and barren parent who together had been praying for God to give them a child, supernaturally born, announced by the prophets. When he preaches, all Judea and Jerusalem, they go out to to hear him, and he's not on the street corner with a megaphone. He's in the wilderness, and they are going after him to hear his message. And they are hearing his message, and they're being baptized for repentance of sins. They're listening to him. relative of Jesus. And then I read verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized in the Jordan by John. He baptized Jesus. I tell my young students at Southeastern Seminary, if you baptize Jesus, I dare you to tell me you would not put that on your resume. Uh, Because you're going to. And you put all this together, announced by the prophet, supernaturally born, moved under the power of God to call people to repentance, and Judea and Jerusalem going out to him, they're listening to him. He gets to baptize Jesus. It seems to me that if I were in John's shoes, I guarantee you I would have wrestled with pride. And yet, here's what he knows. This story is never about him. His job always is to point to the Messiah, to pave the way for the Redeemer to come. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. All of us need to remember that tonight. However God uses us, the story is never about us. We move quickly into the ministry of Jesus. Look with me at verse 9 again. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so for the second time we read that this is the Son of God. It is now the Father who speaks those words, you are my beloved Son. The ministry moves rapidly. The next few verses describe The temptation of Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee. He calls out disciples and then go with me to verse 21 of chapter 1. And this is where I want you to begin to see a pattern that we find in this gospel. They went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were, here's what I want you to see, they were astonished at his teaching. If you're comfortable underlining in your scriptures, I encourage you to do that. They're astonished at his teaching. 
because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Everybody else who taught, taught something that somebody else had taught them, not Jesus. He was truth, speaking truth. They'd never heard anybody teach like he was teaching. In verse 23, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here we have it again. This time it's a demon who recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He's the Holy One of God. And it's striking in this gospel that quite often the demons better recognize who Jesus is than the religious leaders do. The demons know he's the Son of God. The religious leaders say he's a blasphemer. Look at what Jesus does in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then, verse 27, here's the image again. They were all what? Tell me. They were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, look at what happens then in verse 28. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Now, let me show you the pattern here. Jesus shows up, and he teaches like, like no one else has ever taught. Jesus works miracles like they have not seen, and the people are astonished, and the people are amazed, and the people are filled with wonder. And here's the natural result of that. They go talk about him. It just happens that way. That when you're amazed by Jesus, you will speak about him. Now, as we work through this gospel, not always is everyone amazed by him. The religious leaders by chapter 2 are already stressed by his being willing to forgive sins. And Opposition will arise very quickly, but quite often the pattern is this. Jesus teaches, Jesus works miracles, the people are amazed, and they can't help but talk about him. Let me show you that in the latter part of chapter 1. Look at verse 39 of chapter 1. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And here's that word. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now pause there. Jesus tells him, look, don't go tell anybody yet. Instead, go to the priest. Follow your tradition and let the priest declare you clean and whole and let that be part of the witness. And so Jesus is very clear what this man ought to do. But watch what he does in verse 45. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Jesus told him, don't go tell anybody yet. And what did he do? He went and told everybody. Because how do you not when Jesus rocks your world? How do you not speak about Jesus when he changes your life? 
We move forward into chapter 2, and the first 12 verses of this chapter are the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. You may remember his story. His, his friends brought him to Jesus, and they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, and so they decided to go to the top of the home and tear up the roof and lower their friend to Jesus, and Jesus forgives his sins, and that stresses out the religious leaders, and ultimately he tells him to do this. Look with me at verse 11. Here's what Jesus says to the man. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Let me ask you a question. When it's the Son of God who tells you to get up, take your mat, and go home, what had you better do? Get up, take your mat, and go home. And watch what he does in verse 12. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded. There's that wording again. They're amazed by what he did, and watch what they do. And gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. They're astounded, and they cannot help but give glory to God. It just works that way. Let's press on. Go with me to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 35. I want you to see the pattern. I want us to be challenged by, are we astounded by Jesus? Verse 35 says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Tell me why he was sleeping. What's the most logical reason he was sleeping? He's tired. In his humanity, he is worn out. But there's another reason he's sleeping, and that is this. He's not worried. In his deity, he's not worried. You see, the waves don't frighten you when you made them. And the wind doesn't alarm you when it moves at your command. And so he rests in the storm. The disciples don't like that. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They're still trying to figure out who he is. Verse 41 says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And they just have to pause and say, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. When's the last time in your life that you were so amazed by Jesus that all you could say is, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea Obey him. And we go into chapter 5. The first part of chapter 5, Jesus drives demons out of a man named Legion. Possessed by a number of demons, Jesus sends the demons out into the swine. 
The demons drive the herd into the sea and drown them. Then this man, seated in his right mind, fully clothed. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 18 of Mark 5. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. That makes a lot of sense to me. We know of this man. He had been living among the tombs. He was screaming in the night. I can just hear his voice echoing through the mountains, gashing himself with stones, probably in an attempt to, to take his own life. This is the man of whom mamas would say to their kids, don't go near the graveyard. The crazy man's there. And then Jesus stepped into his world. The Son of God stepped into his world and made him whole. And so he begs Jesus, please let me just hang out with you. And I would want to do the same thing. But keep reading in verse 19. Jesus did not let him, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and they were all what? Amazed. They were all amazed. Because that's the way it works. Jesus works miracles in our lives, and we're amazed by Him. We can't help but go out and tell others just how amazing He is, and somebody somewhere will be ready to be amazed. It's not going to be everybody. But somebody will, and that's why we just keep sowing the seed. Knowing that somebody's just waiting to hear of the Redeemer, and somebody will be amazed. That's just the way it works. Well, we continue in chapter 5, and we find next the story of Jairus. His daughter is dying, and so he has come to Jesus to say, please come touch my daughter so that she will get well and live and Jesus agrees to go, and then as they make their way toward his house, they are interrupted by a woman with a blood disease. And if you remember the story, Jesus makes her well and forgives her sin and sends her on her way, and then word comes to them that the daughter of Jairus has died. In fact, they say to Jairus, you don't need to trouble the teacher anymore. So apparently they believed Jesus could do something if he got there in time. They weren't thinking resurrection. But pick up with me in verse 35. Let's see the story. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now, she had died. His point is that this story is not over. Watch what they do in verse 40. They laughed at him, which is not a smart thing to do to the Son of God. They laugh at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, there's that word, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. 
At this, and here's the wording again, they were utterly astounded. Jesus showed up. Jesus worked miracles. They are utterly astounded. Verse 43, this time, then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This time he said, don't go tell anybody yet. Likely because they're in Jewish territory and the Jews misunderstood what kind of Messiah was coming. They weren't ready to hear this. So Jesus tells them, don't go tell anybody yet. But Matthew's gospel tells us exactly what they did. And what do you suppose that was? They went and they told everybody. Because I ask you again, how do you not when Jesus raises your daughter from the dead? How do you not go talk about him? But then go with me to chapter 6. Let's watch what happens. He left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, I want you to see the pattern again. Watch where they begin and watch where they land. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. There's that word again. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Watch where they start. They're astonished at his teaching. They're astonished at his miracles. Where did he get this wisdom? How does he do these things? So they start up here with wonder. But look at how quickly that changes in verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. They start up here, astonished. And here's what they do. They reduce him to being just one of them. Don't we know his family, his brothers, his sisters? We know he's the son of a carpenter. We know his, his mama. And they're offended by him. They start with wonder, and they end with, he's just one of us. And watch what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his household. He was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, look at verse 6. And he was what? Tell me. He was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. To this point in this gospel, who is it that's been amazed? It's been the people. They're amazed. They're astonished. They're utterly astounded. And they go out and they speak about him. This time, however, it's Jesus who's amazed. And what's he amazed at? He's amazed at their unbelief. If I see this story and you see this story with me, they start with astonishment. They reduce Jesus to he's just like them. You know what Jesus is amazed by? He's amazed that they are no longer amazed. He's amazed that they're not amazed. And let me tell you why, why that matters. I'll just tell you some of my story. I told you this morning that my parents were older when they 
became believers, age 71 and age 79. So I was not raised in a Christian home. I knew nothing of the gospel. Had you asked me uh, the question that I raised this morning, how many Bibles did you have in your house? We had five people. We had zero Bibles. Had you asked me who Adam and Eve were when I was 12, I couldn't have told you. I knew nothing about the Scripture. Until God in grace, until God in grace put in my seventh grade classroom right next to me, I can still see him here in this, in this desk, the wooden desk where the tops folded down and went, went by, beside us. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. God put right next to me a guy that I describe as a completely out-of-control, fanatical, obnoxious, rude, tactless, in-your-face, 12-year-old Pentecostal preacher. And he was, he was every one of those things. And every day in my seventh grade year, he got on my face and told me about Jesus. So much so, honestly, I skipped school some days. I told my mom, I, I cannot go today. I'm sick. Because here's what he'd do. I'd walk in the classroom door. He'd meet me there, and he'd say, Chuck, it's, it's a good thing you live through the night. Uh, because, because, he'd tell me, you would be in hell right now if you hadn't. Now, I told you he was tactless, but he did have a lot of truth. Now you know why I skip school some days. I decided if I could make it through my seventh grade year, summer break would come and I wouldn't see him. And I'd be good. And I made it. I made it all the way through seventh grade. But I went through that summer break and I knew I had to go back to school in eighth grade. I knew I had to see him again. We had moved and there was a Baptist deacon living right next to us, a Baptist church secretary living behind us. And so they had been inviting us and I agreed to go with them to church one time. This was in August of 1974. My goal was this. I wanted to go to church one time and never go again so I could tell my buddy, I went to church, you get off my back. So I made my way to this little Southern Baptist church in southwestern Ohio, sat as far back as I could sit. Had no idea what we were doing. This man got up there. I couldn't have given you his title. I didn't know he was a pastor. He started telling the story. And it was the same story my friend had been telling me. At the end of the service, my pastor said, if you want to talk with me about following Jesus, come and, come and talk to me. And I did. And I said, I don't understand all this, but I know I need Jesus. And my pastor helped me to pray, and God made me his child. You know how I knew it was real? When, when you hear the gospel the way my friend told me, it's a good thing you live through the night, you don't sleep very well. Uh, and I literally did not. My entire seventh grade year, I did not. I'd lie down at night and think, if I don't wake up and he's right and I'm wrong, I'm in trouble. I would wake up and say thank you to a God I didn't know, that I was still breathing. But you know how I knew God had changed my life? That day when God saved me, I slept like a baby. Because I knew I was in God's hands. And here's what my pastor told me. My pastor told me, you need to start reading the Bible and you need to start telling people about Jesus. Well, I was pretty pumped about Jesus. And the only way I knew to tell people about Jesus is the way my friend talked to me. <laughs> which is exactly what I did. 
I was equally obnoxious. That's been a long time ago. Today, I'm professor of evangelism and missions. I'm the dean of a seminary whose motto is every classroom is a great commission classroom. But if I'm gut level honest with you, there are days today when I wish I had that zeal again. And I have to back up and ask this question. Why do I not talk about Jesus like I did then? And you know what the answer is? Because we get over Jesus. We, we reduce him to just one of us. And the wonder and the zeal and the fire that we have when God makes us his child somehow gets quenched over time. And how do we know when the fire is quenched? We stop talking to lost people about the Son of God. And that's where the Lord has just, over the past year, has just been wounding my soul over lost people. Challenging me to get out, of, get out of the bubble and get into relationships with people who don't think like I think, who don't talk like I talk, who don't act like I act. And am I uncomfortable sometimes? You better believe it. But I'll tell you what, I want to be so amazed by Jesus that I want them to know him. And I want to be so amazed by Jesus that I can't help but talk about him. And we're going to have to get back there if we're going to be a Great Commission people. It's easy for all of us to lose our wonder, and when we lose our wonder, we stop talking. I want to challenge you tonight to join me. The Lord has just gripped my heart. Literally, I get nauseated to my stomach sometimes as I think about, goodness, I want, I want people to know Jesus. I want to challenge us tonight to say, Lord, give me my wonder back. And when we get our wonder back, we'll talk about Jesus. And if God calls us to go to the ends of the earth or go across the street, it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about him. You with me? Let's pray together. So we pray, I don't know where you are in your own life, but I suspect there are others who would say with me that sometimes we get over Jesus. And we know that because we stop talking about him. Or we talk about him only with other believers where it's safe. And I'd ask you even to pray for me that it's God, God just works me over about this, that God would just use me to reach some folks in my life that I've grown to love who, who aren't following him. And then I want to invite you, if you know you've lost some of your wonder, ask God to give it back. In a minute, I'll ask you to stand with me and we'll pray. I'll turn this over to your pastor and he'll lead you in response. Maybe you need to come and just ask him to pray for you. Or maybe you need to just come and kneel at this altar and say, Lord, give me my wonder back.
So I will do whatever and I will go wherever because Jesus is amazing. Would you stand with me now for prayer? Lord Jesus, you are amazing. Fill us with wonder again. God, take us back to those early days when we couldn't help but talk about you. Lord, even as we go from this place in a little bit, may we see people differently as sheep without a shepherd. May our hearts hurt over the spiritual condition of others because we want them to know you. And God, I pray for my sister, I pray for my buddy, those, those hearts are so heavy on mine. God, how I pray they would know Jesus. So God, fill us with wonder, give us clarity of your calling, and make us willing to go across the street and across the ocean that others might know the wonderful, amazing name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Pastor. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.